Welcome everybody into another episode of In the Shed. Jonathan here. Typically I would introduce our faithful co-host Eva Frazier, but she is uh, no longer faithful. Eva is uh, <laughs> gallivanting around Italy right now with her wife Leslie. So if you hear this, Eva, hope you're having fun. In her place, I've invited over a very special guest. Got Stephen Green here in the shed. And I'm actually hoping that there are a lot of you out there that don't really know much about Stephen yet. I hope so. Could be the case. Always nice meeting new folks. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, neighbor. welcome in. Welcome in, Stephen. Yeah, yeah, great to be here again. Yeah, it's good to good to have you over. The uh, ex- newly appointed sort of executive director. Yeah, executive director for uh, Business for a Better Portland. So one of the founders back in 2016 of, of Pe- then Peacock. Yeah, Peacock. Um, I remember that. The Portland Independent, Independent Chamber of Chamber Commerce. Of Commerce. <laughs> Wow, I hadn't name, thought of that right? for so long, yeah. the Peacock. Yeah. Well, let's see. Tell us what Business for Better Portland does, why yeah, it's around. Business for Better Portland, we, we, we advocate and support local businesses. We've got just about 400 members right now, and they range from your, your solo entrepreneur working out of a shed in Northeast Portland uh, up to your multinational corporates who have hundreds of employees here uh, that just want to be part of a team of folks, you know, making Portland better a little bit every day. Wait, was that a like a subtle plug for me to join? Please. To pay up? And oh, get in? yes. Pay up. Join. I, I think I have in the past, but then yes. it left, so I got to get back in there. Please. All right. I'll, I'll definitely follow up with yeah. you okay, good, um, good. about that. Let yeah, hold you to it. And, uh, you know, for folks that are, the, for the uninitiated, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. Business for Better Portland arose out of an idea or a, a, a feeling that Portland needed, uh, let's say, a different voice uh, around business interests, right? Everybody knows that there's another group in town that represents businesses. It's been here a long time. Yeah. Uh, they go by the name of Portland Metro Chamber now. Yeah. Um, is that kind of, that, well, that was part of the gist, right? It's like, let's yeah, get another no. voice, maybe I more think a group of us got like together from all sorts of different industries, all sorts of different business sizes. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I think, yeah, we, we've got the, the state's largest business organization is, is here in Portland, Portland Metro Chamber. And they definitely represent a, a perspective on business, but definitely not the only one. And so, you know, the group of us, we, we got, we had tech people at the table, food people at the table, um, new people, people that had been here for decades. And we said, oh, this, you know, we want something that really speaks for ourselves. And I think one of the things we really coalesced around was like, what are we going to do this week? What are we going to do this month to help other businesses? Uh, one of the, the greatest things about the business community here that we have with local businesses in Portland is they support one another. Um, and so we were trying to think of, you know, how do we, how do we leverage that? How do we bring that core? Since that's already the ethos of the people that we have here, how do we put that together as a group and how would we talk and how would we, you know, fold others into that? And so that, that exists, you know, to today. And I think especially post the pandemic, and what we're dealing with right now of like what's going on in downtown, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's on our backs, right? You know, the public sector is not going to come and save us, nor is that their job. Um, and so I, I think it's on us makers and builders and employers to go and say like, Hey, here's, here's what we hear from our employees, what are from our customers around the direction of Portland. And also like, you know, things could be so much worse. And, you know, we, you've got an opportunity right now in the market, you know, downtown's on sale. 
right? So you're seeing businesses that historically couldn't afford downtown starting to rent space downtown, starting to expand downtown. Uh, whereas, you know, five years ago might, might not have been an opportunity for them to be able to take advantage of. Well, I also feel like there's uh, some businesses for, for various other reasons decide to leave town and, and leave these prime spots open to others. They are, they are. And it's an opportunity for Portland to go and say, okay, here's, here's how we're reimagining the value proposition for, for why people should come and gather and work and play and convene um, in, the, in the city core. Yeah, that must be a big thing on your mind, uh, leading business for Better Portland, because, I mean, downtown changed so much. Now's the time to get in. Let me introduce mm -hmm. you to mm -hmm. this property owner. Let me do, introduce you to this attorney that can help you renegotiate your lease, because um, the opportunity exists today that didn't exist before. And that's a thing that, for folks who don't know Stephen and his work, introducing people to people is kind of like one of your main expertise, I should say. Uh, I think you just wrapped up your, what, your seventh edition eighth of Pitch eighth, Black. Eighth yeah. edition of, of Pitch Black. Tell yeah, folks what, yeah. what Pitch Black so is. So Pitch Black is, you know, Shark Tank meets America's Funniest Home Videos. So the, the, the <laughs> element of Shark Tank is you got people pitching their businesses. Uh, the element of America's Funniest Home Videos is the audience is picking the winners. So mm, okay. um, over the years, we've done 13 events around the country, eight of them here in Portland. Uh, we've had over 3,000 people attend those events. Here in Portland, we have, we've had 74 people pitch. They've gone to raise over $55 million for their ideas. Uh, and, and, you know, I think the most important thing is it's great to be in your hometown and, and be in a room where people want to see you win. Right. And mm, I think right. for a lot of founders, it's a, it's an isolating experience and they don't know the person in Beaverton or Hillsborough or the east side of town, you know, wants to know more about their company or wants to see them expand. And so uh, we really provide an environment where, you know, the, the people that are in the audience get to reframe their perspective on what it means to be a black business. We've got drone companies here. We've got all people doing all sorts of things. Uh, and then for the business owner, it's a chance for them to, to have a home, some hometown love uh, and then get a little bit of money along the way. So we've, we've donated over uh, $500,000 to businesses over the years uh, directly through the, the winners, but also through the, the black contractors that we use mm. um, for the mm. events. And so it's just been, it's been a ton of fun. And the most important thing I, I think in what I learned in 20 plus years in financial capital is the most important thing in business is social capital, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we make that connection where maybe Jonathan doesn't make that email if I don't know them at all, but if Steven introduces me, maybe mm -hmm. that's an opportunity where Jonathan's going to engage where that didn't exist before. And so that social capital piece is what we're always trying to build on and how we're you know supporting our alumni going forward. I feel like that's one of the interesting things about you and how you see the world and being a uh, leader at Business for Better Portland and, and running Pitch Black and, and organizing that event in the sense where I think you say right there on the website, it's not just about economic capital, but social capital and that Pitch yeah. Black is about culture and people and spaces, not yeah. just dollars and cents, which to me really is kind of where Portland is and that's where the sweet spot is here like yeah. with the whole conversation about oh no we're gonna lose target or we're gonna lose nordstrom or we're gonna lose some one of these big brands yeah. nordstrom is a little different but you, you know what i'm saying <laughs> it's like this <laughs> thing you. where you know that's always been my sense of this city is like a lot of people come here and that isn't their, their number one thing isn't to make as much money as they possibly can every second every day it's like they want to do things a little differently. I'm sort of glad that you found your way into, into leading Business for Better Portland because I feel like you understand the value of more local, smaller businesses. And it doesn't have to mean a notch down at all. It doesn't.
And I think, you know, the thing that we lose perspective on when we're talking about the big versus small discussion is, you know, think about the identity of, of Portland, right? The places that you go for your first date, the places where you take family from out of town, where you ask somebody to marry, those are all local businesses, right? Right. right. That's, that's, you're not taking somebody to Target, right? Yeah, for, well, for some sort of seminal Portland experience, yeah. you're, you're taking them to Deadstock or you're taking them to Powell's. Um, and so we already understand that the identity of our city is tied to these local businesses. Um, these are also most likely the people that don't have a government relations person. They don't have some sort of connection to mm. city hall. And so I think right. that's where we go and, and say, okay, we'll take the time to translate and help, you know, build bridges with, with organizations that you don't have the capacity or money to be able to do. And it's been really fun and people get it quickly. Like, Oh yeah, I love that business. Yeah. There's only three people that work there. They don't have time to go to, to Salem to figure out what this bill means or potentially means for their business. Right. And so it's a, it's a great active role for us to play. Um, while also, you know, helping the, the business owners do what they're best at, and that's run their business. Yeah. Okay, there is a way to tie this into transportation. Please. For please. sure. Uh, one, of the, <clears throat> one of the conundrums we find ourselves in, or I should say one of the big shifts, you know, from COVID and stuff, is that we found how much of the trip generation of businesses was for the city and just like how important it was for its identity. I mean, yeah. if you want to talk about identity for Portland in the last 15 years, a big part of that were these like big platoons of bicycle riders going down our major corridors, whether it's Hawthorne or Williams, Broadway Bridge, whatever. Yeah. And once a pandemic hit, just forget about it. Those That visual identity piece of it is gone. Yeah. And I think that's actually played a role in uh, decreasing some of the political heft of cycling in some ways and even yeah. just the the social aspect of like the peer pressure of like, because even if you drive around or if you're on a bus and you see a bunch of people riding bikes, it does something to you, you know? Totally. But then absent that, it does something to you as well. It's just out of mind. Yeah. Um. So you personally, Stephen, what's your, what's sort of your mobility relationship of your life? You know, you've been always a driver, a bike or what? Yeah. Um. So work downtown for almost my whole career and uh, I'm privileged to live, you know, about four miles from downtown. So biking makes sense for me. There's, there's easy access to bike lanes from my house to downtown, which is not something that most Portlanders that live on the other side of 82nd have the privilege of having. And so for me, it was an option that, that made sense. And also I love doing it. I, just, I think you see the city differently when you're sitting on a bike. Yeah. And you're Woodlawn, right? So you're I'm like, Woodlawn. So come I'm over to Vancouver, super, maybe go down. Yep. Vancouver yeah. all the way down and then cut across when you go to Russell, jump on the Broadway bridge, take a selfie right there and then go into work. And it was always a great way to kind of like get my mind ready for work. Right. All right. I've left home. I'm going to you know, spend some, some calories right now. And by the time I get to my office in 20 minutes, I'm ready to go. And then same way I could leave work, leave work behind me on the bike ride, get home and completely be present for my family. Um, but that's, that's a privilege not everybody gets. I mean, I was, I was going through some, some research. I found a, a study that Harvard recently did that looked at, um, you know, biking in, in the country and like, I'm four and a half times more likely to die on a bike than you are. Right. Which is a fascinating statistic per mile right? mm. and you compare it down to per mile and uh, for a lot of people of color they're more likely to be riding for a transportation to work standpoint versus let me go out on a 50 mile bike ride right you know on the weekend just to blow off some steam and get healthier 
That's interesting. Right there is a big reason probably for that statistic as well, whether you're going, because if you're doing a work trip, you're going to probably have less options of like the route you choose. Exactly. If you're going for fun, like weekend warrior style, you can sit there and map out your little route to be perfect, but you don't have a choice. You just got to get to whatever restaurant or whatever big street you're going to get there. So yeah. And chances are if you're going to work, there's other people going to work and they're using other modes of transportation. Yeah. 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 Have you missed that? Have you missed your commute? Were you getting out enough still? Has that had any impact on you? I'm not getting you? out enough. I think um, having, you know, five people in our house, uh, I, I love the ex- the positive externality of COVID where I can spend more time with my kids and be present. Both my parents worked. Mm. And so I, I didn't see my parents a lot um, growing up. And so being able to be present with my kids and you know, work in between and do video calls has just really, really, really been a blessing. Um, but I do, whenever I get out on my bike, I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's, this is the endorphin release that I miss and that I don't get in other ways. And also just the perspective on like, I love our city more when I'm on a bike. Like I just, I just see it differently. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Um, <laughs> I feel like the route that I'm on. Yeah. Um, you know, that whole chorus of, of pundits or commentators or whatever people online these days in Portland that there's like these sort of like haters, right. That are, try, it feels to me like they're really trying to get Portland down. You know, I don't think a lot of those people probably bike because I know bike people and it's a lot harder to hate your city in a lot of ways when you yeah. bike. It doesn't mean that you are yeah. that people are on bikes are ignoring what they see, right? Right. It's interesting. It's like in some ways we're we're closer to it, yeah. Because and you don't get me wrong. I've heard from a lot of bike riders who are really uh, stressed out, angry, frustrated by some of the things they see mm, on the street, whether it's pu- you know public safety fears or trash, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. But it's weird because when I talk to most people, like that reservoir of love for the city is really deep. People that experience it by bike more often, something about that. They do. And I think, you know, one thing is I, I love that you're doing your, your get togethers every Wednesday. One of the things we do at Business for a Better Portland is we, we have a, a pro- program we call Thinking Local where we go and buy out a, a small business downtown every other Friday. And what I love about it is m- most of the people that have the biggest complaints about Portland downtown they're not spending time downtown. Mm, and so yeah. us doing that program has been an opportunity for folks that have not been engaging in downtown to, to go in downtown and visit a business and meet some people. And then they're like, wow, this is, this is great. And I'm in old town and this business is <laughs> doing these cool things. And like, yeah, I, I feel safe and I'm, I'm connecting with community. And I think one of the, the, the things we lost during COVID was just our civic commons and our ability to engage, mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily agree or disagree, but just engage and share pheromones with other people yeah, yeah. that we may not know, you yeah. know, or see every day. And so I think we have to find ways like what you're doing on Wednesdays and what we're doing with, with thinking little Fridays where we can help people take those, those, those steps forward. Cause that's how really change happens. Right. Yeah. And I think, when you read the the media stuff, it's it's very binary. You're you're a good guy. You're one of the good guys. You're one of the bad guys. Yeah. You're right or you're wrong. Versus like the change that we need is is grains of sand over time. And I think that that's always been the history of Portland. Like even think about food carts, right? Mm-hmm. So like no one got together and said, "Hey, here's just I know it'll really help downtown Portland. We'll do food carts." It was in the '70s and '80s when real estate investors thought we were going to build a bunch of high rise buildings. And so they cleared out properties and in the interim use was food carts. Right. But none of them were like, Oh, food carts is going to be our, our calling card. Okay. Yeah. And then the market didn't come and Mm -hmm. the food cart stayed. Right. And they became part of the identity of the city. 
but that was born in a, in a down market, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's all these things that when we look backwards, we see the good that comes out of things like right now. And that's what we have to, I think, lean into. I love that because the last time, the last time you were over here in the shed, I met Stephen came over, I don't know, a month or so ago, more yeah, than that. And uh, we just have a chat and I learned something new about my city from a story you told. And I didn't, I never knew that that was, I never knew that that's how the food carts started. Mm, yeah, yeah. So uh, you're kind of this, a uh, little yeah. bit of a historian, but it reminds me of the other story you told me mm -hmm. about the sort of uh, migration or however black people, when they first moved to Portland, yeah. I had assumed with my limited knowledge of history, I guess yeah. in Portland, that it was mostly like the Vanport Albina situation was where black people first came for shipbuildings jobs. But yeah. Tell me the story about downtown and, and the Pearl District. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the original uh, black community in Portland was is what is it now, the Pearl Old Town. And the original thing that, that brought black folks to Portland, there was black people in, in Oregon already. But in the 1880s, we had this hotel built, and it was called the Portland Hotel. Um, and so folks moved from around the country uh, to go and find jobs at this, you know, preeminent hotel that was being built in this place called Portland. And so people moved from across the country. And then 10 years later, uh, Union Station opened. Right. And so people moved from Arkansas and Alabama and other parts of the country to go and work at this train station. And so the original community for, for black folks in Portland was was in this area in downtown. And I, I think the the irony there is to this day, the Pearl is still the only neighborhood in Portland named after a black woman. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, it was a small number of people, right? So if the night you look at the nineteen forty census, uh Portland Oh sure, had, just just before you were here, I was checking it out. Oh <laughs> of course, right? Um so nineteen forty census, there was less than two thousand black people in all of Oregon, right? The whole entire state. The whole entire state. Um according to the census. Yeah, sure. Um about half of them were believed to be in Portland. Uh transitioned forward to the nineteen fifty census, and there's well over twenty thousand living in Oregon mostly in Portland because of Vanport. Mm, so they pretty quickly moved from, but they were down in the Pearl, moved from yeah. the, the west side of the river. The and that happened before Vanport. So uh, a sad part of our history as a city. Um, 1921, while Tulsa was going through its Tulsa race massacre, uh, the Ku Klux Klan was convening with our city council to have the black community move to the right side of the river. Uh, and so um, one of the Spheres of influence and beacons in the community then in the black community and today, Mount Olivet Baptist Church, the still the, the oldest and uh, largest black church in the state of Oregon, uh, they were in the Pearl, right? And so the Ku Klux Klan came to them in 1921 and said, we've got a new property for you in North Northeast Portland, right off of Broadway. Uh, we've purchased it and we're going to give you wood to, to build your own, your church. And you've, you've got to move from here to over there. And so, you know, the, the city and the Ku Klux Klan rightfully assumed that if the church leaves and the, the community will, will follow. And so that's how what is now on the historic register, the original, uh, the, the church location there in, in North, Northeast Portland, um, that's how it got there, 1921. Well, I didn't know that. hundred years ago, they basically said, here's some wood, get, get, get out of this town. Can't be get here. out of town. This part of town. Yep. Wow. Yeah. All right. I, uh, that, that's a good segue to some degree into politics in city hall uh i know that you're also a sort of a local political junkie like i am worked although the city for 10 years although so. oh you did you worked at the city yeah what do you make of all the the council races we are in if you're like me you're 
I'm really excited. This is a pretty amazing yeah. moment. You know, 50 candidates or so are lining up. What are your just, you know, high um, level thoughts on this I'm so race? excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this is, there's a, there's a big reason why we were the last, last city in the country with a commissioned form of government. Um, so I, I think from my perspective, we know what doesn't work mm-hmm. um, for the multitude of of the city. And, you know, from a business perspective, not having district representation means, you know, you, you think of a lens of, you know, business in St. John's is must be just like a business in Midway or out in Selwood. Right. Um, versus having district representation, we're going to be able to have so many other perspectives on business that just weren't part of how discussions primarily happen at city hall moving forward. Um, is it going to be messy? Yes. But again, I think I think we know when we've got a uh, hundred plus years of what of what doesn't work. Uh, Portland shifted to its commission form of government, I believe, in 1913. Um, and so, you know, having five uh, people on council, uh, we've only historically had two ever in that hundred plus years of having commission form of government that live east of 82nd. Two, mm. and that's uh, Commissioner Leonard and then Commissioner Hardesty. And so those were, you know, both in the last 20 years. Yeah. So now we've got like what, 15 people running for that district. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And so it's, I, I think it's in the business community, people oftentimes go to, why is this, why is this worth my time versus I have negative thoughts about it. It's like, I'm running my business. Why should I take what little time I have away from my business to care about this? Oh, here are the reasons why. Right. Here's how it's right. different than before. So you can't just, you know, paint it with the same brushes before. So I'm, I'm super excited about it. Yeah, and your group, I mean, it's sort of an opportunity for your group to be the group that can help through that big transition for folks, right? Yeah. And to try to figure out what that means for your organization going forward in terms of like, how do we, I've been kind of thinking about that, like, how do I represent people that care about cycling in this new system? What does that mean for transportation change and reform and all that stuff? And it's going to have big implications. Huge. I mean, um, this week they they talked a little bit about, it looks like, you know, commissioners are going to go from having, you know, six or seven staff to yeah. one staffer, yeah. right? So that's very different than the, the world we live in today. And so, you know, the way we're thinking about it at Business for a Better Portland right now is, man, how do we help make business leaders be as formed as possible when they're having contact with a candidate or yeah. with someone who, who wants to be a, a city manager or a deputy city manager? What's the, what are the questions we want to empower them to have? Yeah. I, I want to keep talking about politics, but I wanted to go backwards a little bit mm. because something you were saying about how you have your regular get togethers with uh, your business group yeah. and we have our bike happy hour. We got to find a way to connect here because, Boom. you know, you, you probably do know that historically in Portland, there's been this not great relationship with some businesses, I mean, yeah. especially led, you know, led by the Metro chamber folks where there's just been this tension, there's been this almost conflict between people that want to push reforms on streets and, and yeah. make our streets, you know, less car centric and more human centric. Yeah. And then you got some of these business interests historically have said no or worried so much about uh, the perception that everybody gets to their business by car yeah. or whatever other perception they have. And they fight some of these changes. It's been a big, a big issue over the years. So yeah, I wonder what you think about that. <sighs> getting some business and biking people in the room. I think there's more of a chance to do it with your group, honestly, yeah. than the Metro chamber folks. Yeah. So we got to do something on that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think where I come from it from is the assumption that we agree on more things than we disagree about. 
even if we're talking about the Metro Chamber, whoever. And my experience working with business leaders is they often, they don't have time or even know the details, right? You know, the other thing uh, being on the, the governor's downtown task force mm, that's right. was like, we've got some really complex stuff that we've got to figure out. We've also got some really, really simple stuff that we've got to do first, right? And, and if I want anyone to trust me on, you know, tax reform or some really, really convoluted, complex things, I got to trust them with the simple stuff. And the simplest thing that I learned from working with Eco Northwest was hearing, here's, we, we've got all this data. Here's the number one thing we do. Fridays, downtown's dead. Get people back here on Fridays. Let's start with that. And so, you know, that's why we do our thinking local on Fridays now. That's why mm. we're doing it twice a month. Mm. And it's, it's small grains of sand like that that I think lead to the, the change that we want to see as opposed to someone's waiting for the big idea. There is no big idea. There is showing up or being on the sidelines and potentially complaining. And I think what we've learned from COVID was like, man, sitting on the sidelines is just not an option. Right. Yeah. So what am I going to do? How am I going to spend what little time that I've got? But what about transportation more specifically, though, getting to where we can have business interests uh, in Portland, business owners being more on the side of like progressive reforms when it comes to transportation? (sighs) Deep side. No, and (laughs) I say deep side because I I feel like we're in this world of there's all these trigger words Uh, and someone's progressive or they're conservative or not versus how do we have conversations around, Hey, you have a business. Who are your customers? How do they, how do they get to you? What time of day do they come and visit you? What are the barriers that get in? Because oftentimes it becomes either a car or not a car conversation versus people understand like, Oh yeah, we do have this long-term commitment to not being an a-hole to the environment. And that includes probably less cars coming downtown, but most of the things that we talk about are led by how can cars get here cheaper, right? Um, versus opening that up and being like, well, well, do you like people that are 18 to 26 coming in? Is that a good core audience of those people might be more inclined to, to bike? Mm-hmm. Um, we had a great conversation at our, our Thinking Local event last week with a woman who runs a hostel. And... I know a little bit about hostels, but I had no idea really who their customers were. And they're like, yeah, they don't, they don't spend a lot on the, on the hotel stay because they're staying at hostel, but they come in groups and they spend a lot more money at local businesses. And so I was thinking, wow, there should be, you know, e-bikes ready to be available at the hostel. If there's these groups that are going out and Mm -hmm. spending money Mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to get, you know, bikes available inside of some sort of hotel or something like that. Yeah. And so how do we, you know, reframe some of these conversations to, to a more basis level, basic level of like, what does your business need? Who are your customers? Mm-hmm. What's the friction that happens along the way? And you may find that, oh, well, we, you, you actually agree on a lot of these progressive things and you don't see yourself as a progressive person or, or vice versa. But yeah. that's the nuance that I think has been lost since we've lost our civic commons, right? Yeah. And I hope those are the conversations that we can get into because I think people will find like, oh, well, however I identify politically, like we actually agree on like 98% of stuff. So true. Weird, yeah. right? See, now y'all know why I was so excited when I heard that Stephen Green was a member of the governor's <laughs> downtown. For folks who don't know, that was like the... What did they call it? the downtown revitalization task force, task force or something? Yeah, yeah. It was like 
Governor Kotek put together meetings. this thing. Yeah. There wasn't, but there wasn't anybody on there that was like ostensibly bicycle transportation transit person, right? Yeah. Uh, but I saw your name and I'm like, all right, that's gonna be our guy. He's he's gonna be a sensible person about understanding downtown in the way that you know I yeah. personally and I think a lot of people that listen to Bike Portland and read our stuff are gonna appreciate. And so. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. I agree with you. It's about how how you talk to businesses, how we frame stuff, and it that's like the, the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, let's get back to politics. Let's see. So before you came over, yeah, I was I've been really intrigued at the small donor election website because it has I think relatively accurate and up to date data on you know the amount of contributions and then like yeah. the actual the dollar amount. Right. So I'm kind of geeking out on that to see who who are the front runners in these districts is. You know, with with fifty candidates or so, how you see some of these races coming together? I mean, I one, you know, to anyone who's running, thank you for running. That is something I don't ever see myself doing, but I think we we all have to find our role in helping make Portland be better. And for these people that are choosing to run, that is them stepping out and putting themselves yeah. into the public eye in a very real way. For sure. Um Two, I, I wonder about what role fundraising plays in this new world. Mm -hmm. And I know there's so many people that know politics, that know government better than myself, that are going back to these old playbooks. And like, I know this playbook so well, but we're, we're reshuffling the whole thing. We're, we're, we're switching to a new form of government. And so I wonder if we can go and find, um, you know, you know, definitive connections to how much someone raises being a signal of they're going to win versus I know there's a number of people that because there's so many people, I think name recognition is going to be really, really important, right? right. People can go through and they're going to see all these different names. And they're going to go, there's 15 people running for something in my district. Ah, totally. oh, I recognize that one. Yeah. All right. I'll give them one of the three spots. Right. right? And so I think we're going to start to see people this spring come into the races that regardless of how much they've raised are really throw, yeah. throw a wrench in a lot of these elections and, and maybe sure. how we're thinking about fundraising. And also with fundraising, like I can't compare someone who's been in the race two months True. to yeah. someone who's been in it 12 months. Yeah. Right. So how do we, how do we add context to these things? And I, and I love shout out to what Maya Harris is doing with Rose city reform. Like that's, that's my number one go-to spot when I'm trying to make sense of mm -hmm. what's happening mm -hmm. in the city right now. And we featured her in, in our event last month at business for a better Portland, where she really kind of broke down the landscape for our, for our members. So uh, I'm glad we have stuff like that. Yeah. Speaking of context, one of the reasons why I like looking at some of the donor information, mm -hmm. uh, I like, I look at the contribution, the, the number of contributions, not the amount, right? right? The dollar amount. I'm, I'm interested, like how many votes of dollars did someone give another candidate? And I've also liked that you can break it down by districts as to me, it kind of shows like which districts are the most like politically active in a way. Right. So it's yeah. interesting if you look at the thing that stuck out to me is district two, which is where we are right now, yep. North and Northeast. Yep. It's so it's way behind in terms of just number of people who've made contributions right. into the races by, right. by, by quite a bit. It's interesting. The numbers are uh, in district two, on a, on a per candidate basis, 79, on, on an average of all the candidates running in, in District 2, I think there's seven or eight, 79 contributions per is the average. But if you look at District 3, which is uh, the inner Southeast District, yeah. the average per candidate is 332 contributions. So 
you're talking, you know, what what is that? Five five times as many yeah. actual donations have been made. Mm. I just find that interesting. I would I see, would love you know? and I'm a I'm a data guy, dabble in demography. Um I would love like my mind goes to how long have the people been in the race in, in district two versus the it other was one? later that they got more candidates. That's true. Um, anyway, it's fun. There, fun there's a bunch that. of different ways yeah, to look at this. And, and I think the win for us is we have people engaged in this stuff that wouldn't be engaged before oh. or wouldn't be engaged until the voter pamphlet comes. Right. Without like a doubt. that's the, the best thing about all this, like regardless of who you vote for, like, like we've already won just by these conversations hap- happening and candidates showing up where they otherwise the previous playbook said, I only got to worry about people downtown. Mm-hmm. Right. I think one of the things I'm concerned yeah. about is when we go look in, you know, far out East side, our most diverse part of the city. Yeah that diversity is mainly under the age of 35, right? And so when you look at who historically votes in the city of Portland, it's 35 to 65, 40 to 60 year olds, right? Mm, mm. East Portland, that diversity is not that age, Mm -hmm. it's younger. So what are we gonna do to get folks that are 18 to 35 to really show up and be part of this process and to vote as well? Are you also concerned that later in the race, we could see more influence from sort of the the older older school sort of status quo power groups and stuff like that or no i think even if let let's say like i've got a really great name and i used to be on council 15 20 years ago blah blah blah, blah. i also know like the playbook that i used back then i, I can't use today right Some of them now don't it's, know that it's I, districts i've right? seen older i've seen older politicians come back and think they can run exactly the same way i won't mention any names and it doesn't, it hasn't worked, but yeah. yeah. And I think we're, that's what we're going to see play mm-hmm. out. So, mm-hmm. so someone, some of those folks are going to come in and they'll be like, Hey, I'm dusting this thing off from 2002 and I'm going to run it back. Right. Yeah. yeah. Versus other ones are going to be like, nah, I was, I was curious then about what worked. I'm doing the same analysis today. And mm-hmm. wow, it's, it's so different. Like that talking point I used in 2002, that's not going to resonate today. And so one of the things I'm, I'm curious to see is, you know, specifically for, I think Commissioner Ryan is a perfect example. Like mm-hmm. he ran and run and won in our current form of government. And now what will people in district two think of how he's been representing them? Right. Uh, or I guess us, right? Yeah. Um, and what will that look like? I think that'll be a good litmus for yeah. kind of what the future might hold when it comes to voters and accountability <laughs> around district representation. And I think if I'm on his team advising him, that's going to be the hard thing to figure out is mm-hmm. like, how do we go and present this front of we've been advocating for district two when we haven't been advocating for district two? True. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and will, and will people hold him of account for that? I mean, I guess I would love to run against him in that scenario. Cause I've got a bot, a bunch of fodder to maybe say that he hasn't been representing right. district two, but that's because it was a different form of government. True. It's right? not exactly it was, fair. It was a different playbook. It, it's yeah, not fair, but not it's also fair. like it's politics. I, it's, it's politics, <laughs> right? Like you, you're giving well, me the ammunition to move forward. Yeah. Speaking of which, speaking of name recognition, I, I heard something the other night about the possibility of uh, Commissioner Mingus Maps dropping out of the mayor race and running in district. Uh, well, I guess he'd be district three. Hmm. I mean, stuff like that. And actually, I fired off an email to the elections person yeah. to be like, what, what's, what would happen? Can they do that? Is yeah. That does everything transfer? What do you or? do with your donor donations? Yeah. So anyway, yeah. interesting stuff like that, you know, could potentially happen. But I hear what you're saying about people popping in later that have a big name and how that can just yeah. catapult you right to the top. And 
But I think it's going to work out great because some of the people that didn't have a name, I think, have already been in and they've just been getting to understand, running a campaign, getting out in the trail. It's been really neat um, seeing those folks. I think the elections and I, I think you and I share the excitement and enthusiasm while also acknowledging the unknown and the fact that it's going to be messy. But like I noticed when you said it's going to be messy to me, it was like an excited. And I feel like so much about where Portland is right now is the Rorschach thing of like, how do you look at some of this stuff, right? Do you look at this new form of government? Oh man, this is just going to be another shit show. You know, like right. they're not, it's too many. I can't believe they're going to be, it's going to cost us too much. How are they going to possibly, it's going to, everybody's going to be arguing. You're gonna have, or you're going to be like, well, it's so exciting. Right. So, and just same with, I've noticed, um, in my opinion, if you look at how people feel about Portland, how they look at the protests in that whole era if they if if people look at it with shame and embarrassment or look at it with pride yeah that really kind of dictates totally oh, where man. people's politics are going i'm Huge. finding you Huge. know and it's not an easy answer for some people no right no. like i know it's complicated but it's like i feel like that was in some ways portland's best moment yeah i i'm with you i mean i've got a you know someone gave me a, a frame picture of um, everyone on the Broadway bridge or Burnside bridge. Um, when all the protesters were on it and it's inspiring to me cause it's like, man, all these, especially young folks just, they showed up. And the question I found myself, I was sitting in Irving park with thousands of people and I was just thinking, what's my bridge that I need to go stand on. Right. And so it's, it's really propelled me to, to think about how can I lend my time talents and treasure towards a better portland when these young folks just did it like they just they showed up so how can i how can i show up and what does it look like what's my bridge that i need to be doing that on yeah and it's about remembering that as a positive thing as an exciting moment and not where i feel like there are some people in portland some leaders in our town who are maybe shying away from that a little bit because the politics aren't quite as good as they were a couple years ago about it right i was at an event put on um by a local foundation this summer and there was like 30 of us around a table and Mm. talking about just moving forward in portland and um a gentleman that was uh older Caucasian gentleman uh, sitting next to me. And, and he said, you know, this is the worst time ever to be a white man of means uh, in Portland. And I sighed. Um, I, I just couldn't even, I couldn't even stop it. And um, I just sighed. I didn't, I didn't say anything. And I, I continued to let him speak. And as I thought about it afterwards, you know, I, I, I thought, man, he's, he's missing out on so much. Like, there's so many people in Portland that have never had the good old days to be able to go to hearken back to them. Right. And so when you say, you know, the good old days were X, Y, Z decade, that was, you know, traumatic, traumatizing period in time for some other Portlanders. Right. And so I think that's something the tension is, I think what he was probably saying was I knew what worked then. And there's this ambiguity about the path forward that I can't sleep with right at night, but I knew, I knew how things worked back then. And I want, I want to go back when things made sense. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I would add to that and it is made sense to you, but did mm-hmm. they make sense to other people? And so how do we, how do we acknowledge all that institutional knowledge that is around us in spades and also leverage it for a better Portland, right. And a Portland that wasn't included back then. Right. Like, you know, I, I agree. It was probably easier when 
10 white guys got together at the Arlington club and, and figured everything out. Right. Like that right. wasn't easy. It wasn't inclusive. Was it what was best for every, everyone else? Like it was expedient. Right. Um, and so how do we, how do we leverage that knowledge? And, and instead of like, you know, canceling people or whatever, how do we go and say, all right, that was great and true for you. That didn't include me. Or while that included you, I couldn't even be a member of the Arlington club. My, my parents couldn't be members if they wanted to be, they couldn't be members of the Arlington club back when you're talking about the good old days and recalling this time. So it wasn't the good old days for all of us. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone would agree on that. All right. So how do we build on that? How do we build on what you know and how you knew things worked? And also include myself. So I can be saying the same thing you're saying, you know, 40 years from now yeah, of yeah. the good old days, right? And I think um, that's, therein lies the opportunity and the, the discomfort for where we're at in Portland. Mm -hmm. But the more I travel, the more I believe, like, well, if anyone's going to accomplish that, it'll, it'll be us, right? And I think part of that harkens back to if you were on the, the Oregon Trail back in the mid-19th century, you got to Southern Idaho and you either went South to get rich in California or you kept on going West to do something in community that was going to be really, really tough. Mm -hmm. And you know, there wasn't a lot of answers. Right. And, and I think that, that, that ethos lives on today, right? Mm -hmm. Like people want to do things like our, our knee jerk is to collaborate over compete. Right. Yeah. And so how, how do we continue to lean in and remind ourselves like we're better together. Right. And like, these new people are great additions. They don't, they don't take away from what we're able to do and they don't take away from what you've accomplished and those great things that happened. But now there's this opportunity to include more people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I love that answer. One of my stock questions recently has been noticing that people are bringing up this term, the good old days. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm starting to ask people that I talk with, what does that mean to you? Right. What is your version of that? And so you, for you to bring it up like that, and hearing what you just said reminds me that for, you know, the real question isn't what do the good old days look like to you? It's like, what are they going to look like? Yeah. What are they going to look like next? Like there is really no older version of our, of our city that we should be going back to probably. There's pieces of it that Elements. we want to pull through totally. maybe. Totally. But I think that's our, that's our challenge right now for folks like you and I who are doing stuff in the community. Like, yeah what how are we going to convince people to join our version of the future yeah what the good new days will be you yeah. know while also giving people the freedom to opt out right like i think that's one of the things being a black portlander is is like this this isn't a great place for all black folks right and so how do we acknowledge like the the, the great stuff about here but also the tough stuff mm. and give people grace when they want to opt out, but yeah. also know, let them know like the good old days aren't coming back the way you remember them. Mm -hmm. That's just not, that's not going to happen. We've got a, yeah. a group of people who were on bridges. They will not let that happen. Right. And that's either exciting and there's a bunch of opportunity for you in that, or like maybe you, you should move somewhere else. And like, we'll, we'll celebrate that as well. Um, but changes, changes, changes here. And, and change is great for us. And that's, that's been a thing that's, when you look at history of Portland, it's always propelled us forward, right? And it's angst in the, in the middle, whether it be the food carts, whether it be, you know, Vanport, like all these different moments in time that were traumatic and shocking and like we didn't have a plan. But when we look back at them now, it's like, wow, that, that brought us all these people 
mm-hmm. or that sh- reshaped how we view this part of town or, or whatever. Um, we, we don't know that until after it happens, but I think now we can sit and talk with each other and be like, this is that moment. Like, this is that moment we, we need to help propose, help us move forward and, and really be innovative. And that's one of the fascinating things when we talk about our new form of government is like, we talk about innovation all the time, but now that we're doing something innovative, we were like, well, it's, it's too new and hasn't been tried and tested, but Here. like, that's the definition of, of innovation. And also the thing that we're doing like has been done. All three components of that have been done in other cities. They just haven't been done at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think the more I dig into what the commission was, was working to accomplish and how they went uh, the data informed route of where they ended up on, I'm, I'm even more excited of, of, you know, the uncertainty, uh, of course, the uncertainty that we have, but like, okay, these people spent 18 months giving their time to get to this spot, not willy nilly, but like they talked to people all over the country. Yep. Yep. They got feedback. Like, wow. Like what a gift that they've given us. And yeah, it's going to be awkward for, for years. And I think we, we have a great example in Beaverton, you know, just 15 miles away where they just got their first city manager two years ago. Right. Mm. And so when you go and you talk to Jenny over there and the things that she's been going through the last 24 months, that's a great litmus for like, Oh, that'll probably come up with us. Oh, that's probably something we should, we should be thinking about. And so I'm excited to see who's, who's going to be our city manager, who are going to be these deputy city managers. And as someone who used to work for the city, like to actually be able to make city plans that you can see through versus things being important in two and four year cycles when your, your, you know, your counselors change. Oh, what a, what an amazing gift Huge for the folks that we have, you know, working at all these different bureaus. Yeah. Or for advocates like you and I, who are like trying to meet a new commissioner in charge every year and a half or two years, right. Get them up to speed or give them some space to learn. And then by the time they learn, they get, they get some new, yeah, know. they get some new bureaus. Yeah. Hey, uh, I am just so happy that you are in this right now, invested in the community, helping us find our way through. And I'm glad you came over to talk about it. I'm not going anywhere. This is really Um, really fun. I'm glad you were able to come in. Yeah. I think part of what excites me about Portland is like, this is the more I travel, the more I, it reaffirms my love for our city and I'll take our problems over other cities problems. Um, and, and like Rick Trosi says, like Portland's big enough to be a big city, but small enough to where one person can make a difference. And so, you know, I, I, we see that in the work that, that you're doing and that's, that's the hope I think, you know, myself and others are trying to do as well is like, how do we do our part to make, you know, Portland a little bit better every day. Cool. Thanks, Steven. Thank you. And that will do it for another episode of in the shed with my guest host this week, the executive director of Business for a Better Portland, and the founder of Pitch Black, Stephen Green. As always, check out the show notes for more information where you can learn more about Stephen and the great work he's doing. Really appreciate all of your support. If you are not a paid subscriber of Bike Portland yet, please become one today at bikeportland.org support and find out how you can be a part of what we're doing here and pay a little bit in to keep it thriving and surviving. I also want to thank Brock Didis of Sprocket Podcast fame for our wonderful new theme music. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, we'll see you in the streets.